Section 4, Specific Issues Facing Our Company. In this section, I review and analyze some of our current critical issues that affect our company. 1. Cyber risk remains a significant threat. We cannot overemphasize the importance of cyber risk, not just to our bank. We spend more than $600 million a year on cybersecurity, but also to our customers, countries, economies, and critical industries like telecom and power. We have pointed out to our shareholders before that having disciplined cyber hygiene is almost as important as the money you spend. Threats to our cybersecurity need urgent attention from our government as issues of national security and impediments to trade. Governments should build on prior agreements in the United Nations, recognizing the applicability of international law to cyberspace and enforcing obligations to hold bad actors accountable. Acknowledging that governments and their regulatory agencies are prime targets for cybercriminals, these agencies need to provide transparency to those affected by incidents, like financial institutions and others that hold sensitive data, invest in the uplift to cybersecurity, and adopt safe and sound practices for data protection and handling. Much of our extraordinary cyber capabilities are also used to train and protect our customers, particularly in the areas of risk and fraud. Two. Brexit was finally accomplished, but uncertainties linger. Brexit was accomplished, but many issues still need to be negotiated. And in those negotiations, Europe has had and will continue to have the upper hand. In the short run, over the next few years, this cannot possibly be a positive for the United Kingdom's GDP. The effect after that will be completely based upon whether the United Kingdom has a comprehensive and well-executed strategic plan that is acceptable to Europe. Included among the unresolved questions is how financial services will operate. London has been a major financial center that, under all laws and regulations, could conduct business throughout Europe. For most of us, the bulk of our operations risk, compliance, audit, legal, regulatory, market making, investment banking, research, and asset management were performed centrally in London. It was hugely efficient for all of Europe and for financial services companies as well. London is a magnificent place to do business in terms of the rule of law, human capital, technology, transportation, language, and many other facets. But future financial regulations were left uncertain in Brexit, and it is clear that over time, European politicians and regulators will make many understandable demands to move functions into European jurisdictions. Because of this, and because of strong European efforts to compete with London, Paris, Frankfurt, Dublin, and Amsterdam will grow in importance as more financial functions are performed there. Even so, few winners are likely to emerge from this fragmentation. During this transition, our costs, most of which will probably be passed on to customers in one form or another, will go up as functions become duplicated. We may reach a tipping point many years out when it may make sense to move all functions that service Europe out of the United Kingdom and into continental Europe. But London still has the opportunity to adapt and reinvent itself, particularly as the digital landscape continues to revolutionize financial services. Innovation is key to preparing for doing the business of tomorrow versus relying on the shifting ways of the past. 3. New accounting requirements affect reserve reporting but not how we run our business. A new loan loss reserving method called the Current Expected Credit Losses Standard was adopted by large financial institutions effective January 1, 2020. 
To oversimplify, there were two main changes. First, you must reserve for expected credit losses over the full remaining expected life of the loan, whereas in the past, we reserved for losses that had already been incurred using a forecast over a loss emergence period, for example, the ensuing 12 months or so for credit cards. Second, you were to incorporate different reasonable and supportable macroeconomic forecasts for multiple scenarios in estimating losses. Given the benign macroeconomic environment when this new, current expected credit losses standard was adopted, it increased reserves by only $4.3 billion, which was primarily attributed to moving to lifetime loss coverage for CARD, with only a small amount of reserves for the probability of a far worse economic environment. Hundreds of variables go into the scenarios and calculations shown in the chart. Allowance, range of downside uncertainty on page 33. During periods of stress, the firm leaned more heavily to the downside to reflect uncertainties not fully captured by the scenarios themselves. Uncertainties included a substantial drop in headline employment without corresponding job creation, the degree of permanent job losses, the extent and timing of federal government assistance, unknowns around vaccine efficacy against new virus strains, and the potential for economic scarring from changes in consumer behavior and the recovery of directly impacted sectors. The best way to look at this is to analyze our loan loss reserves as of December 31, 2020. Our central case is essentially our baseline forecast and is roughly similar to the Federal Reserve's current forecast at the time, which would have unemployment over the ensuing 12 months at 6.5%. If we reserved to this case, our reserves would total $22 billion. But we run multiple scenarios, one of which is an extreme adverse case. This worst case, which is slightly more severe than the Federal Reserve's extreme adverse case, would have unemployment over the ensuing 12 months at 12.5%, among other variables. If we reserved as if this scenario had a 100% chance of happening, we would require $45 billion in reserves. After probability weighting multiple scenarios, we ended the year with $31 billion in reserves. Clearly, in turbulent times, these scenarios and the probabilities assigned to them are highly uncertain and volatile. The following are also clear and extremely important. The firm earns almost $50 billion, plus-minus, pre-provision profit annually. It is able to easily handle large increases in reserves, and we could easily have done substantially more while maintaining high capital and high liquidity. This is also why we saw no reason to cut our dividend. If, however, the worst-case scenario had happened, which means it could have gotten even worse from there, we might have cut our dividend to retain capital out of prudence. Importantly, the current expected credit losses standard does not change risk management or the way we run the company. We have been lending and will continue to lend to our clients and customers throughout the pandemic with prudent risk management. Our credit risk decisions and broader risk appetite are mostly driven by our clients' needs and market conditions, rather than solely by reserve methodology. While reserve levels are an estimate reflecting management's expectations of credit losses at the balance sheet date, they may not reflect the amount of losses ultimately realized. And four, while we disbanded Haven, we will continue to build on what we learned. Although the United States has some of the best healthcare in the world, doctors, pharmaceutical care, and innovation, 
and many people from other countries come here when they need serious medical attention, the problems associated with healthcare are serious, rampant, and obvious. Our costs are more than twice those of the developed world without justification by better outcomes. There is no transparency in pricing, with patients legitimately complaining of hidden costs. And chronic care is not necessarily managed properly. More than 30 million Americans are uninsured, and we are falling short in basic wellness. Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase set up Haven to address some of these problems. And in the process, we learned a lot about how the healthcare system could be improved. Although we decided to disband Haven, J.P. Morgan Chase will continue to build on what we learned. We will invest in healthcare innovation and other approaches to improve the health and well-being of our employees and address this critical national issue. More details will be shared as we progress.